Uh, I appreciate your prayers this last week. Obviously, I missed last week. Keith, thanks for filling in. Uh, it's good to know that I can leave, and I've got good teachers that can come up here and deliver the message. Uh, I said something to Chloe last night about coming down and uh, speaking at her youth ministry gig that she does, and she goes, you don't, you don't preach like they do. Like, I'm not going to be invited there. <laughs> I'm like, well, what does that mean? She goes, well, you teach from the Bible. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> really? Really? Uh, no, they do teach from the Bible there. It's just kind of sewn in there. But uh, I'm teaching from the Bible. If you haven't been here, I have been going through the book of Acts and the whole history of the New Testament. And Paul has literally, at this point, stopped and written a letter to the church at Corinth, which he has already visited. And we got almost through chapter 1 two weeks ago when I was here. And I want to pick up because I left off. I left off in the middle of this train of thought that he was on. He was on verse 18, and I think I finished in 26. So let me just read to you 18 through 25, which I've already taught two weeks ago, but I need to connect what we're doing today with what we did two weeks ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Like intelligence blocks knowing the things of God. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Are you getting the point? For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is where we left off. So if you need to break that down any further, go back two weeks ago to our podcast or YouTube and check it out. But I want to pick up here verse 26, uh, to start today off. He says, brothers and sisters, he's talking about those who are believers, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. You see, God's foolishness in the message of Christ parallels his choice of what, for the most part, were the poor and dispossessed of the first century Roman Empire. These people had no place to go. They were the low people on the totem pole. Yet they were the ones that were receiving the message of Christ. He says there, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Remember we said that your calling is what you do, but the will of God is to either walk by his spirit, which is what Keith was talking about, or we can be selfish and choose to walk by our own flesh. But the calling that he's talking about 
is being situational. What is your situation? Their situation was that they were the lowest of the low, yet they were unable to understand the gospel. Think about this. Even Paul, who's writing this letter, before his conversion, he had been very self-righteous. Like he knew the law and he was a very religious person. But he had to give up his religion to go to heaven. You realize he was a Pharisee all of his life. He believed in God, taught God, taught the law and everything else. But what happened? He had this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. That's when he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he received salvation. Not because he knew the law, obeyed the law, and taught the law and everything else. It was Jesus alone that saved Paul. And the Corinthians, they were, they were on the total opposite side of Paul. They were like too sinful, and yet he's saying, you're not too sinful to be saved. You're not too sinful for God to reach down and to save them. Verse 27 says this, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. The world sees what we're doing today in this very room as nothing. This is not important. This is not real. This has no value. That's the world that we live in on a daily basis. Now, take this, what we're learning, and let's put it in a spiritual perspective. In today's world of social networking, this whole world, it's about being puffed up with knowledge. How can I prove what I believe my opinion is right? I want everyone else to know that what I am saying, what I believe, what my opinion is, is right, so I'm going to put it out there. That's, that's the water that we are swimming in right here. And who knows more and can prove their rightness? That's the whole battle. The message that we're reading right here and this miracle of God's grace in Jesus Christ It just utterly confounds the world. It puts to shame, he's saying, to the high and the mighty people of this world. The wise of this world can't understand what we're teaching here today. They can't. They'll argue it. Look, and and I'm not even talking about those who don't believe in God. I'm talking about those who believe in God. Like, they take this and they intellectualize it. And they break it down word for word for word for word, and they argue about it, and they divide about it, and everything else. And he's like, you guys, I've tried to make this as foolish and as simple as possible for you. That hopefully even those that aren't 
don't have earthly knowledge or earthly wisdom can see what Jesus Christ has done. God's foolishness confounds the wise. God's weakness confounds the mighty. They can't even see it. They can't see the goodness of our God. So there's no point in arguing with them. There's no point in arguing with them. Sometimes your best evangelism method is to shut your mouth and to serve them. (laughs) Well, how, how do you do that? He says in verse 30, It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became the wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. (laughs) So Paul literally ends this statement right here by quoting one of our prophets, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, says, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. It's not that there's no place for the wise or the rich in God's kingdom, the high and mighty, we would call them today. It's just that they have to come with a much different attitude, recognizing that they're impoverished impoverished and entirely dependent from God's perspective on him in Christ. That's the perspective. Yeah, I've got stuff... Yeah, I've got knowledge. Yeah, I've got a great situation. But when it comes down to just me, I've got nothing unless I have Jesus. It's all about perspective. If one is boasting only in what the Lord has done for one and can do with one through one, then one will not boast in what one has by worldly standard. In other words, if you can see what Christ is, just as Keith and Danny were up here talking about the things, how does he live through me? He cuts down trees, he fixes cars. If they can see that, if they can see him living through me, rather than lamenting what they don't have, it's all about the right focus, a cross-centered focus. Actually, The emphasis here is that God shows his wisdom by means of the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption. He says it right there. He uses three big theological words that we only get because we are in Christ. Each of those theological words carries a special meaning for Christians. You think about the word righteousness. You have been made righteous. Past tense. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross how many times? One time. 
once. He died one time. He took care of all sin all the way from Adam all the way to the end of time. He died one time for all sin. And so therefore, everything that you've done, everything that you're doing, and everything that you're going to do, he's already dealt with and taken care of, and he's made you righteous. It has to do with your current standing with God. Not when you die and go to heaven, but your current standing right here on earth that you are redeemed, that you are made righteous. We are justified. God has declared you righteous. He has declared you righteous. People go, well, God looks at me through the magnifying glass of Jesus Christ. No, he's made you righteous. You are righteous. And then he uses the word sanctified. We've talked about that word over and over. Paul said in the first couple of verses of this letter that you're the saints, that you're set apart, sanctified. You're, you are set apart. Your soul and your spirit has already been sanctified. But our behavior, the things that we do, is being sanctified. The more I learn to walk, the more I learn that he lives in me, the more I learn to rest, my behavior begins to line up and become sanctified. And so then the the last word that he uses is redemption. It just says, we've been set free. (laughs) I'm teaching, listen, I'm teaching this message to you who are followers of Jesus Christ and saying that you are free to do whatever you want. Not too many pastors will say that. They'll say, now that you're a believer, here's what you have to do. You have to get up early. You have to pray. You have to confess your sins. You have to do it. I'm telling you, you're free to do what you want. Because God loves you and he has given you freedom. He's redeemed you. He set you free. But the honest truth is, if you understand your righteousness, if you understand that you're set apart, that you're sanctified, if you understand that he set you free, you're going to want to do the things that he desires for you. You're going to want to pursue God's will. You have the freedom to do God's will, walk in the spirit, or you have the freedom to walk in your flesh and do things that are selfish. He's given you that freedom. You're redeemed. You can do that. But the more you know him, the more you understand him, it's going to be natural for you to walk by his spirit. I can say that to you. I'm not worried about what you do situationally. I, I, I'm concerned about you. But it, it's not my responsibility as a pastor, as a shepherd, to make you do the right thing or even tell you to do the right thing. That's the spirit living inside of you's responsibility to tell you that. All I have to tell you is that you're redeemed, holy, and that you have a spirit living inside of you. Recognize it. Live by it. Figure it out. Get to know him. Then he gets into chapter 2. He says in verse 1, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, the mystery of God to you, He's in a Gentile world. You realize that he went to the Jews first. He's always went to the, the synagogue first, and he spoke to the Jews, but then he left there because some of them, most of them rejected him. But he went to the Gentiles. And we, we get this word mystery in his letters many times, and people try to decide what the mystery is. God is a mystery. I don't know everything about God. I don't understand everything about God, but as I grow, 
things are revealed to me about God. And this mystery can be unpacked. It also can be the mystery like uh, the Jews and the Gentiles having the same Messiah. They didn't think that, the Jews didn't think that the Gentiles could have anything to do with the Messiah. And they didn't even see who the Messiah was. So maybe the mystery is, is that God said, hey, the Jews and the Gentiles, they're all the same. But I honestly believe that you can unpack the things of God by reading the scripture and this mystery will be revealed to you on a day-to-day basis. He says, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember why he's writing this letter is because there were... There were factions. There were those that were following Paul. There were those that were following Peter. There were those that were following Apollos. And they were all arguing about who was the better teacher. And he's like, I I don't care about this whole who's baptizing who, who's teaching. I I just want to teach Jesus. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. He is literally, at this point, I'll use this word that we use today, but he's rejecting verbal bullying. They were actually bullying one another with their words, which is a fair summary of the whole philosophical mindset that was going on in Corinth at the, during this first century. It was all about wisdom. It was all about who has the most knowledge. And he's literally rejecting them and saying, I'm more in favor of being humble to the awe-inspiring majesty of our God. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying here from the stage. If one doesn't know my God, my God, Rusty's God, if one doesn't know my God, why would I expect them to understand the ways of God? Paul desired this message right here to be one of power displayed by God rather than the humanity of his own word crafting. He didn't want to polish his words. He wanted them to see God working through him. Personally, I'm not a great speaker. I I hear you all the time laughing about the way I say words and different things that I say. And uh, I said something at Larry's funeral. I called Michelle my current wife. They... Didn't let me forget that, but uh, uh, I, I mess up all the time, and people laugh, and, and you know what? Uh, the honest truth is, is that I don't practice or educate myself on proper speaking techniques. I feel like God's given me the ability, the ability to come up here and teach, teach enough that the Holy Spirit can teach you. I'm not responsible for teaching you. I'm responsible for sharing what I know, what the Spirit's revealed to me, and then the Spirit speaking to each one of you. It's the craziest thing, but you'll walk out of here, and everybody walks out of here with a different message this morning. 
I'm teaching the same thing to all of you and everybody. It's like some of you are still back on the first verse that I was talking about. Some of you haven't got there yet today. <laughs> you'll get there, but you'll walk away with something different. I've, I've literally taken everything that I've learned in seminary in all my church experiences, growing up in church and participating in ministry, and I've stripped it down. I've stripped it down as much as possible to two things. Here's what I do. I build relationships. And I talk about Jesus. That's it. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'd go to camp, have kids over, Looks like programming, whatever, but the whole thing is it's about building relationships and talking about Jesus. That's it. It's pretty simple. And literally, this is what Paul is saying. I don't care about all the theology and everything. I, he's like saying, I don't need lights. I don't need smoke. I don't need worship countdowns. A building. I don't need a budget. I don't need a committee. I don't need meetings. I don't need eloquent verbiage. I don't need any of that. I just give me an open door, maybe a meal, and some time. That's all I want. Give me an open door. I'll hang out with you, probably eat. But all I want to do is talk to you about Jesus. We'll talk Colts, we'll talk baseball, we'll talk cars, we'll we'll do all that, but the real deal is I just want to talk about Jesus. That means literally I have to make room in my calendar for the Lord to lead me in this, this unknown, crazy, and unexpected adventure. I've literally learned to clear out my calendar because I have no idea day to day what's going to come along my way. One phone call can change my whole week. A certain church had a beautiful stained glass window just behind the pulpit. It depicted Jesus Christ on the cross. One Sunday there was a guest minister who was much smaller than the regular pastor. A little girl listened to the guest for a time when then turned to her mother and asked, Where is the man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus? (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. I want to get out of the way so that you can see Jesus. That's it. It's not about me. It's not about me sitting up here. It's about building relationships with you so we can talk about Jesus. My prayer is the things that we do here at Levener point to point you to Jesus rather than distract and block you from Jesus. I'll have theological discussions with you. I'll debate certain things. But man, if that becomes it, I'm out. If that's all it is, I'm out. I want to know he lives in me. How to trust, how to rest in the foolishness of this good news. He says, verse 6, We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, 
We speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined, there's that word, predestined before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. Because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, and he quotes Isaiah, he takes a couple of passages of Isaiah, prophet, because Paul knows the Old Testament well, he's got it memorized, he knows what all the prophets said. He quotes Isaiah, he says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Literally, verse chapter 52, 15 of Isaiah says this, So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what he had not been told, and they will understand what they had not heard. My prayer for this country right now is that they have eyes to see and ears to hear. That's not happening. But it can. Verse 10 says this, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Oh Lord, please let us understand the Spirit that lives inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in this mortal body. Paul you know, previously described these things of God as foolishness, which would lead you to believe that only the unwise can see the truth. There's a difference between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. It's obviously not the case. Someone who has worldly wisdom can come to know Jesus Christ. Those who could get past the intellectualness of the gospel would eventually have to be able to see things from a spiritual perspective. Because if they simply have belief and faith, watch. It's not because they prayed a prayer. It's just they believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he took their old heart out, put their new heart in, made them a new creation. Spirit came and lived with inside of them, and the Spirit begins to speak to them. The Spirit gives them forgiveness. The Spirit gives them repentance. It's not my repentance. It's he gives me repentance. He causes me to change my mind. He does all these things. And so they're giving a spiritual wisdom once they come to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah versus earthly wisdom. How do we get this wisdom? It doesn't say that it's a fruit of the Spirit. I believe that Danny went through the whole fruits of the Spirit this morning, and I didn't hear wisdom in there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. I didn't hear wisdom in there. How do you get wisdom? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of me and He's continually speaking to me and revealing things to me. He reveals His wisdom and this is the journey that I go on my whole life. This is the sanctifying journey that we're on in this flesh season. We're walking here on earth in this flesh suit that this is my unredeemed body. It's neutral, but I'm walking in it. But the fact that there's a Spirit of God living inside of me and He reveals things to me and unpacks things and He gives me wisdom, spiritual wisdom. He allows me to see spiritual things. At 5.30 this morning, I see two close people online 
reading the same devotional that I'm reading, and we're all connected, at 5.30 in the morning, I knew there was spiritual battle going on. I could see it. Because God's given me the wisdom, the spiritual discernment to be able to see it. It's real. There's good and there's evil out there, and they're both working at each other's throat. Watch. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? You know. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. That moment you believed, he gave it to you. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. I'm sitting up here today trying to explain to you spiritual things, thinking that because you have the same Spirit inside of you that you can understand what I'm saying. Some of you in this room can't. I get it. But you may come to know that there's a loving God through what's being spoken here. I sit down with Corey all the time. He's a broker at Charles Schwab. And I ask him how his day's going. And he'll sit there and say, yeah, it's good or it's bad. You know, I had to deal with people's emotions and financial people know how that goes. But then when Corey starts talking stocks and markets and trading, I'm just like going, I don't have a clue. That's That's... Keith and Chad's job, and everybody—that's not my job. I don't understand all that. I just let them. I don't understand that. So someone who doesn't have that same spirit in them can't understand the spiritual things that we're talking about here this morning. If I ask Corey or somebody to explain it to me, and it was important to me. They could do that, and I could learn it. We're talking about worldly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom, though. Worldly wisdom comes from man. Spiritual wisdom comes from God and the Spirit living inside of us. But we have to have ears to hear. Verse 14, we're almost done. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things of the Spirit because they just can't understand them. Well, that doesn't sound fair. (laughs) Until we realize the understanding in this context, it's not cognitive. I've met some non-Christians who can explain biblical truths better than some Christians can. They just don't happen to believe them. They haven't acted on them. It's not real to them. The understanding here, as consistently in true biblical understanding, it's acting on it. It's voluntarily doing it. A matter of the will and not just mental or cognitive knowledge. It's like, 
yeah, I understand this thing, and I'm choosing to act upon it. My choice. My choice. Walk by the Spirit, walk by the flesh. Then it says this, verse 15, The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. Why? Because i got the Spirit speaking to me. 16 says, For who has known the Lord's mind? He's quoting Isaiah again, chapter 40, verse 13. He says, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? And then he says it. But we, the believers, have the mind of Christ. (laughs) I'm going to end on that. We have the mind of Christ. I have a brain. It's a piece of meat. It's up here. And it's full of facts that have been collected over 56 years. Everything I've touched, everything I've smelled, everything I've seen, tasted, it's all collected right there in that hard drive of my brain. But there's a processor that I have. And when I was eight years old, God gave me a different processor because I said I believed in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so now I have this processor up here that processes everything I've done, everything I've experienced, and I'm able to think and process with the mind of Christ. My brain is temporary. It's going to go in the ground and become worm food. It's a piece of meat. My mind is eternal. It's going with me. I'll be able to process eternally. To have the mind of Christ literally means to look at life from the Savior's point of view. I can see the things of God because I have the mind of Christ. Having his values and desires in my mind. That's crazy. It means to think God's thoughts and not to think as the world thinks. When we literally trust the Spirit in us, we begin to understand and see things that the Bible very clearly tells us but doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. You have something that they don't because you've been set apart and you have the mind of Christ, the ability to interpret his word because of a spirit inside of you. The mind of Christ gives us the ability to view things from a different perspective. It allows us allows you to wake up at 5.30 and see the, the, the battle, a spiritual battle between good and evil. We can see that God's not responsible for evil that happens when he placed us in the world where we can choose good or evil. He's given us a free choice, and we can see that things are good and things that are evil. Well, why do we always want to attach God to the evil things? I don't. That's not what my Bible says. He defends me. He protects me. We live in a world that's fallen. My God is a good God. And he has given me the ability to love him or to reject him. He's given me the free will to pursue him. And when he does that, when he does that, It allows me to make a choice. 
and I choose to follow him, I choose to pursue him, I choose for that spirit to move inside of me, to teach me, to process things up here, and then to act it out in every moment of my life. Moment by moment by moment. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that we continue to unpack your word, and that we can understand it, that we can trust it, that we can rest in it, and that you would do it through us. The adventure, the true adventure. So thank you for the foolishness of the good news. Thank you for spiritual wisdom. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.